I'd love it if you'd open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel and chapter 8. And we, we are super excited uh, in this period. I am so excited about Alpha. How many of you are excited about this Alpha thing? Like five of you, brilliant. I, I, do you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'll tell you why I'm excited. Because it suddenly occurred to me a couple of weeks ago that we have the potential of more than doubling our church in 10 weeks. Have you ever thought that? We have the potential of, of inviting all of our friends to hear about Jesus in an environment which is safe, cool, non-judgy, and not very churchy. Doesn't that sound good? So that pe- people who don't yet know Jesus but have an inkling about God might encounter Jesus because we communicate Jesus to them. So that's why I'm excited about Alpha. And what we're doing over the last few weeks and what we're doing in in the next few weeks is we're looking through a series in Mark's Gospel and basically we're doing something so simple and so old school but so cool because what we're looking at is the person of Jesus and we're saying, what does it really mean that Jesus is the Son of God if he is? What does it really mean for you and I to say we're going to follow Jesus? What does it really look like for you and I to put our trust in Jesus? And what does it mean for today for that to, to, to be real for us? And so we're just checking out what the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life say about the person of Jesus, rather than just getting lazy with muscle memory about him. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. And uh, we're going to read some really familiar verses of scripture. Let, let, me, let me frame this really well or as well as I can. The most important thing that you ever think is what you think about when you think about God. Think about that. The, the most important thing that you can ever think is what you think about when you think about God, which is just a logical thing to say because if you and I were created in the image of God and for God, the way we view God has a significant impact on the way we do life, doesn't it? I mean, it just, it just does because, because the problem is if you've got a wrong view of God, if you've got the wrong idea of God, you can spend the whole of your life running away from a God that doesn't exist. Or, maybe even worse, trying to appease a God that isn't real. Or just following a God that, that isn't. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing that you ever think. And... What you do with Jesus is the most important thing that you ever do. Because Jesus comes along and says, I am God. If you want to see God, check me out. If you want to see what God thinks, what God feels, what, how God acts, how God loves, if you want to see the compassion of God or the truth of God, check me out and you will see God, which is a pretty audacious claim. Do you know, there are... There are at least two lists that I think about quite a lot. There's a list in this world of, uh, let's just say it's here. We had a whiteboard this morning, but whiteboards don't work when you've got a circle thing going on because no one can see what you're doing. Let's say there's a list here. And this list is called people who've made most impact on our world ever. Okay? Jesus Christ is top of that list. You know, our, our, our rules, our, our constitutions, our governments, our speech, it's, it's all based on this fulcrum of history called, called Jesus, and he's top of that list. And there are other people on that list, lots of them. Buddha would be on that list, Muhammad would be on that list, uh, Martin Luther King would be on that list, Gandhi would be on that list, a whole bunch of inventors would be on, on that list. There's a, there's a great long list, but at the top of the list is, is Jesus. 
But I'm also thinking of another list, and here's the, here's the other list. This, this other list is a list of the people who claim to be God. And Jesus Christ is top of that list as well. He's, he's top of that list, and then the rest of that list is a f- bunch of crazy people. David Karish. Jose Mourinho. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like a bunch of people who are absolutely crazy, and they claim to be God. But here's the thing. There is only one name on both lists. Jesus, top of the list of people who've impacted this world for good. Top of the list of people who claimed to be God. And that's what Jesus did. I am God. Let's, let's just read together and let's, let's ask one significant question. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, the disciples, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He, he then began to teach them that he, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power let's just pray God we have this audacious belief in our heart that you are a speaking God who loves us and so as we come around your word we say come Holy Spirit would you speak your words to our hearts and lives that we would leave here different changed challenged encouraged because we've been with you Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jesus comes saying, I'm God. I'm I'm what God looks like. I'm I'm how God acts. I'm the way God feels. You you remember if you've hung around church at Christmas time, that really famous passage of scripture where John starts to speak and says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And what he's basically saying is Jesus is God. Jesus was there at the beginning. He will be there, there at the end as God is creating. Jesus is creating. And then he goes on to say this ridiculous thing. He says, no one has ever seen God. 
And people reading that probably thought, well, we've not seen him, but we've felt him, we've experienced him. And he says, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. If you want to know what God looks like, check out Jesus. And Jesus grows up from that baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. And then he starts to speak. And he says things that are just ridiculous. And quite honestly, they sound outrageous to people. He says, I am. I am the way, the truth, the life. In a world that's lost its way, I am the way. In a world where the truth is relative, I am truth definitive. You could stand the weight of your life on my truth. In a world where, where, where life is so often a pretense and a sham, I am life in all its fullness. And, and people understood exactly what he was saying. I and the Father are one. And the disciples said, yeah, we believe you're God. And they not only followed him, they lived for him, and they died for the belief in their heart that God had come. And the authorities believed that he was saying he was God. And that's why they killed him. That's what he got killed for. Because here's, here's a mere man claiming to, to be God. But here's the thing. Millions of people down through the years, and many of you, are living your life based on the belief in your heart that there is a God in heaven who loves you and he looks like Jesus and he met you and he encounters you and he's changed your life. God has come. Jesus is God. Now Jesus comes, according to this passage of scripture, to the district of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And it's, it's just like a kind of conversation you can imagine. On the road, he's talking with his friends. So who are people saying that, that I am? And, uh, and they come up with some pretty, I guess, pretty honest and pretty understandable comments. They say, some of them are saying you're a prophet because you do prophetic kind of things and, and, and you change things and it's, it's a miracle. And when you talk about God, it's as if you almost know God. And, and, and then he turns around and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says... You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, what about you? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now, now, now listen, context, this is going to get technical for a moment. But context and location are really important here. Because the conversation happens outside of a place called Caesarea Philippi. And, and, and actually, Caesarea Philippi was originally called Panias after the god Pan, but it was renamed Caesarea Philippi by the son of Herod the Great called Philip. You can see where this is going. Philip had inherited the land from his father, Herod the Great, but actually it had been granted him by Tiberius Caesar. And so he took Panias and he renamed it Caesarea after Caesar, and Philippi after himself. And the Jews, they're looking for Messiah. They're looking for the one who's going to come as a king and save. And that word Messiah in the Hebrew gets translated Christ in, in the Greek. But here's an interesting thing that you might not know. Also in the Greek, the word king in the Hebrew gets translated Christ, Christos in the Greek. And so here we have Messiah which he calls Christ, which he calls King. And so Peter is saying, in the shadow of the Roman Empire, Caesarea Philippi, he's saying, there is only one King. You are King over everything. And that's not just 
a nice thing to say to Jesus. That's incredibly revolutionary. There is no other power greater than you. In other words, the kingdom of God subverts and supersedes any earthly power, any earthly kingdom, any earthly president, any earthly edict, any earthly prime minister, any earthly political system. The kingdom of God and your kingship is above all these things, Caesar. And that's not all. What you need to understand is before it was renamed Caesarea Philippi, it was called Panias. And Panias, it was called Panias because the god Pan had a temple there and he was worshipped there. And that's where we get the, 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 um, uh, the understanding or the belief or the philosophy of pantheism. And pantheism means that God is everything and everything is God. And so they worshipped the god Pan, but they didn't really worship the god Pan. They were just petrified of the god Pan. So they made sacrifices, sometimes human sacrifices, to the god Pan in what became Caesarea Philippi. And the ancient people were petrified by Pan. Because the ancient people were afraid every time there was something dark or something they didn't understand or every time the sound happened in the dark or every time something happened in nature that they couldn't get their head around, they, they blamed Pan and they were scared of Pan. So Peter is saying, I believe that you are the king above every earthly power, but I also believe that you're the king above every heavenly power. There is no domain that exists that you do not stand over as its king. And it was hope for them. In a broken world, in a frightening world, it was hope for them. And in our broken and frightening world, where we have every right to be anxious all the time about what is going on in our world and who is ruling our world, because, because to be perfectly honest, there are a bunch of crazies on thrones right now. It is hope for us that Jesus Christ is King, is Christ, is Messiah, and he has power. And Peter knew that. That's why he said this. Because he'd been in the boat when the storm came and Jesus had been asleep and everyone's panicking and trying to bail water out. And they wake Jesus up and say, wake up, we're going to die. And Jesus says, don't be stupid, you're not going to die. Shut up, storm. (laughs) And the storm stops. And, and they've they been in the place, they've been in the building when the, the four guys lower their friend through the, through the roof and, and the guy who'd not walked ever suddenly walks because Jesus says walk. And, and they've been around when the girl that had been bleeding for 12 years suddenly is not bleeding anymore because Jesus said be, be well and they were going to be outside a tomb of Jesus' best friend who was so dead, he was dead dead, he'd been dead for days and he was in a tomb and it was all wrapped up and everyone around was crying and weeping because... He was dead. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And he knew that Jesus is God. And he knew that Jesus is king. I don't know whether you can get excited about that. Because here's the deal. We don't do this because we traditionally ought to do this. We don't even do this because our parents told us to do this. Some of us don't even do this because there's a fit guy or girl that you're coming following or whatever the guy said up there. Although some of you clearly do as well. But we do this because Jesus is alive and he's God and he's king and he brings hope and he changes stuff and he heals and he forgives and he saves and he transforms and he is king above every power and every authority. It's really exciting. But here's the question. What kind of king is he? I mean, what kind of, There are kings in this world. 
and they're crazy kings. The kings you don't want to follow. What, what kind of king is Jesus? Look at verse 31. And, and here's the thing. Very quickly, the whole conversation gets real awkward. I mean, it was going really well up to that point for Peter, but now it gets really, really awkward. Jesus says, I'm king in this way. I'm, I'm king in the way of love. I'm king for you. I'm king in the way of doing all I can to make a way for you to experience the power of God, the forgiveness of God, the restor- restoration of God, and the love of God. That's how I'm king. And, and, and the way in which I'm going to do this stuff is going to get so weird for you that it's going to be offensive for you. And some of you are going to hate it. I'm going to suffer, Jesus says. And the reason he says he's going to suffer is, is because, yes, yes, of course, he, he can totally identify with your pain because he's been there. But, but more than that, listen really carefully. It was inevitable that if you were to have free will to choose to live in his hope, in his love, in his life, if you were to have free will to relate to him and walk with him, he had to leave himself open to the opposite. If you were to be totally free to choose to love him and worship him, he had to leave it possible for you to choose the opposite, for you to choose to reject him and despise him and even persecute him. And Jesus says, I came to save you. I came to love you. I came to reveal God to you. And you will kill me for it. And unlike anybody else on this list, unlike anyone else on this, on this, this king's list or this God's list, He refuses to force love. Because it's not love if you force it, is it? He's going to suffer and he's going to give his life and he's going to die for your sin and for your hopelessness and for your brokenness and for your pain and for your rebellion in your place. And he's going to rise from the dead. And he's going to break through death. And he's going to punch the first hole through the veil of life and death. No one else has ever done it. He's going to punch the first hole through the veil of life and death. And he's going to make a way for you to live forever. And it's amazing, but it's a journey. Jesus is king but he's king in this way. And I love this, Peter, for, for all the right reasons, and sometimes we castigate Peter for being Peter, don't we? Peter's just Peter. Peter, Peter for all the right reasons, says, no, Jesus, not my Jesus, not this way, Jesus. Mm-mm. You're the king. And Jesus says, verse 30, I love this, Jesus says, verse 33, sometimes we read this really harshly. I don't think Jesus says it harshly because it's not his style. Jesus says, verse 33, don't get in the way of this, Peter. You're thinking all wrong. It's, It's totally understandable, but don't get in the way of this, Peter, because this is the perfect, beautiful plan that I must take the path to free you up. I have to take this path to free you up. I have to take this path to save you. This is the only way. Don't, don't get in the way of this, Peter. Step out of the way. And then he drops the mic. Or the bomb, however you understand it. 
He says this. I don't think we ever read it like this. So Peter, if this is the only path I can take, it's the only path you can take. If this, if, if this is the only path I can take, it's the only path you can take. And it's the path you must take if you want to live, if you want to have freedom, and if you want to have healing, and you want to live forever. Deny yourself. Verse 34. And Jesus says, deny yourself, because that's what he did. He says, I want you to deny yourself, because it's the way, because I left the throne room of heaven for you. I handed myself over for you. I did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made myself nothing for you. And he's asking you to deny yourself, not because he's jealous of you, but because he's jealous for you. He's asking you to deny yourself because self is getting in the way of life. Listen, if self is on the throne of your life, you are king of your life. And we both know how that's going for you. Not so good. Because you tried it. You tried bossing your relationships. You tried being king over your finances. You tried, you tried being king over your future and your fears and your concerns and your anxieties and your mind. And, your, and, and it's, not, it's not going so great for you. And it certainly isn't going to work for you in all eternity. Because there is only one who can smash through the veil of life and death. And he did it and you can't. So self has to die for you to live. And Jesus says, I am life, and self is not. And he says it far more eloquently than I ever can. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it, but he says it nonetheless. What good is it? What good is it if you gain more and more and more and more stuff? What, what, what good is that? It just complicates your life. Just more and more and more and more and more and more. What, is, what good is it if you gain more and more and more control over your life? Ultimately, it's a lie anyway. You're not really in control. What good is it if you have stuff in control and you lose your soul? Take up your cross. By which I think Jesus just means resurrection cannot come till death has happened. (laughs) If you want resurrection, which is really cool, Something's going to have to die first, otherwise it can't be resurrected. And what's going to have to die is, is, is you at the center of your life, you on the throne of your life, your opinion, your idea, your concepts, you running stuff. Because you can't do it and you're not supposed to. And follow me. Follow me. Follow me to the places that I go. Trust your life to me. Trust your life to me. You are going to follow something and you're going to trust your life to something. And here's the thing, the only thing that can take the weight of your life, the weight of your eternity, the weight of your future, the weight of your hopes, the weight of your dreams and the weight of your pain is Jesus, not you. Follow me and I will take you to life through death and I will take you to people and my purposes and I will take you to to your best life. He says, Jesus, look, whoever loses his life will save it. Get this. Jesus is called the king, but the king is called Jesus. 
Jesus is called the king, but the king is called Jesus, and the name Jesus means savior of the world. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. That's what he's doing with his kingship. He's saving the world. That's what he's doing right now as he reigns in the world. He's trying to save the world. He's trying to restore the world. He's trying to heal the world. He's trying to make it right again. He's trying to draw people who he created, who are in his image, back to him because he knows it's the only way you can live life. It's the only way you can love life. It's the only way you can have a future. It's the only way you can be forgiven. And he is here. This Jesus, the king who saves. Most people on this planet at some stage in their life come face to face with this question. Who do you think Jesus is? And most people have an answer and one day we will all be asked that question. Jesus is king and his saviour. That statement is an act of defiance. If you want a revolutionary statement, that's an, that's an act of defiance. No other king will be king in my life. I mean, like no other king is going to be king in my life because Jesus is king. And it's a statement of confidence in other words, I don't need to be anxious. I don't need to be concerned. I don't need to be worried because, because this God, this God is my king and he's God over my sickness and he's God over my doubts and he's God over my finances and he's God over my futures and he's God over my relationships. He's God over the whole thing and he's got it and he loves me and he's for me and he's not against me and he's here. This statement is an act of surrender. I am not king and I will never be king. My mind is not king. My feelings are not king. My competences will never be king. Jesus is my king. Here's the thing. Sooner or later, everyone needs a king. Sooner or later, everyone looks for a savior. The, um, the high achievers who run out of rungs to climb and have nowhere left to go, and suddenly know they're not king, look for a king and a savior. The, the low achievers who run out of hope, and they run out of people to ask, and they run out of people to help them, and they definitely know they're not king, they look for a king, and they look for a savior. The, the elderly who run out of time, because one day they know they're going to see Jesus face to face and it gets nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. And they look for a king. And they look for a savior. And the young, most of you, who run out of alternatives. You've tried everything to fill that hole. You've tried everything that might possibly bring you life and future and hope and joy and happiness and, and somehow be meaning for you. And, and then you go, I need a king. I need this kind of king, a king who is a savior, and he is here. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing that you ever think. And the most important thing that you ever do is what you do with Jesus. 
and he is here, and he whispers, so who do you say I am? So who do you say I am? Let's pray. And he is here because he's he's God. And he's here with power to heal and forgive and speak truth. And he's here with love to save and to heal and restore and it all starts with the answer to a question who do you say I am and he wants to meet with us here and some of you have never answered that question never been face to face with it before And even tonight, you kind of know the answer. And some of you have answered that question many times or many years ago. But tonight it comes in a fresh way. And you want to say, Jesus, you're my king. You're my king over everything. You're my king. And so just in the quietness, if... Just respond to Jesus. Just tell him. Tell him. For the first time or for the thousandth time, Jesus, you're my king. Jesus, will you be my king? Jesus, will you be my savior? Jesus, I'm all in. in the middle of um, worship this morning and uh, after I preached and I had a really vivid picture that I wasn't sure whether I should share but I did and the picture was of a guy who was in a casino I think he was playing blackjack not that I would know what that looks like and he had like he was winning he had a stack of chips loads of them and uh it's almost like he just got frustrated and he pushed all the chips into the middle and he was betting on something that seemed ridiculous. He pushed everything into the middle, took his shirt off, stood up and said, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I felt that that was a picture for some of us this morning and I think also this evening. When you say, Jesus, I'm, you're my king, be my savior, it's, it's like doing that. It's like saying, I... I I am not any longer creating a margin in my life where if it doesn't work, it's okay. 
I'm all in now. I'm all in now. I have no plan B. I'm all in. I'm all in. Jesus, you're king. Be king over everything. Be king. Be king over everything. Be king. I'm not going to ask you any longer to rubber stamp my incredible plan that I've made. I'm going to ask you to come wreck it. <laughs> and show me your ways and I'll walk in them. Jesus, you're king. Jesus, you're king. Because I trust you. And I think that's for some of us tonight.